Are you a today person or a tomorrow person? Do you think about the worries of today? Are you focusing on what's happening this afternoon, what you're having for lunch? Or are you the kind of person who has some kind of grand master plan? You know, that everything is working towards some kind of future that you've got mapped out for yourself. It's probably true, isn't it? I think that we tend to lean one way or the other, just in our personality. We either tend to be scurrying around thinking about today, or we're just thinking about the future. Well, it's the first Sunday of 2019 that I'm actually here at a morning service. I was preaching out at Union Hall Evangelical last week. So I get to do two start-of-the-year messages, if you like. But at the beginning of a new year, people start to think about the future, don't they? It's natural. We sort of gaze our eyes up a little bit and we look beyond the day-to-day stuff of life. And quite often it seems to be that people think about health. I don't know if you've noticed in the media that there's all kinds of things that people are doing this January. Have you come across them? Veganuary, where people are going vegan for the month of January. Dry January, where people are not drinking. That's alcohol, not just drinking anything for the, the month of January. Takeout for January. Have you come across that one? No takeaways for the month of January, dairy annuary, pizza-free annuary, the list goes on. Basically, anything that's not good for you, you stick annuary on the end of it and just give it up for a month and everything will be well with your health. Well, apparently that's what happens. But essentially, it's about taking the longer distance look about things. You know, sometimes as Christians, it can be easy to kind of put a divide between today and tomorrow. To kind of think that there are some things that only concern us today and some things that will only concern us tomorrow. But the good news of the gospel is that when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, not only is our tomorrow, our eternity, secure in Christ, but our today is transformed as well. God is the God of today And tomorrow. What did Jesus say when he went to Zacchaeus' house? He said, salvation has come to this house, not when you die, but today. It has already happened. Eternity breaks in when we turn and we follow Jesus. So I want us to think about how we share the gospel today and how we're going to give to the good news of Jesus Christ with our gifts and our abilities and our time and our money this year. Christian thought throughout um, the centuries, particularly through the the Middle Ages, was particularly influenced by one of the Greek philosophers. Who's heard of the man Plato? Yeah, Plato, this Greek philosopher. And he taught something that actually we don't find in the Old Testament, but it sort of influenced Christian thinking. And it was that as a human being, we are split in two. Not, Not literally, but we're split into two halves. One is the today part, the body. And one, if you like, is the tomorrow part, which is the soul. And it sort of came to this kind of thinking that people really ignored today and focused all about tomorrow within Christian thinking. I don't know if those of you who've been a Christian for a number of years might remember the debates that raged within the Christian church in the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s about was the gospel about today or was it about tomorrow? And so you had some people that were saying, actually, the gospel is all about today. It's a kind of social gospel. You go out there, we feed the sick, we heal, um, we provide care for people, we clothe those who um, need clothing, we do all those things that Jesus did, but we don't worry too much about eternity. And then there were those who said, well, that's not right. The gospel is all about saving souls. So actually, we're not that bothered about earth, but what we are bothered about is eternity. We're bothered about seeing heaven filled with people. 
What I believe we find running right through the scripture and right through this passage, this manifesto that Jesus uses, if you like, at the start of his ministry, is that God cares deeply about whole people. He cares about how you are today. The gospel impacts us now, and it impacts us right the way in to tomorrow as well. How are we going to serve this gospel? Our vision as a church, we've named it as growing disciples, recreating community, reaching neighbors. And essentially, that is contextualizing what Jesus says in these verses here. Jesus picks up the scroll. Imagine, imagine just finding Isaiah 61 on a scroll. It must have taken quite a long time. But Jesus gets there. He gets to Isaiah chapter 61 and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord, or I actually prefer it where it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. And then we get what the anointing is for. But just pause for a moment. As Jesus is starting his ministry out here, he says that it happens because of what the Spirit of the Lord is going to do through him. There is never any gospel proclamation without the Holy Spirit. We should never attempt to do anything in our own strength without the anointing and infilling of the Holy Spirit. As a church, we shouldn't be doing anything unless we are empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do it. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this passage here just reminds us that the Holy Spirit's filling is not just about something experiential. Now it's true, when Jesus was baptized in Luke chapter 3 at verse 22, it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Something tangible was happening. But the impact of the Spirit's infilling is that Jesus then went on to fulfill his ministry. The Spirit is given so that the church, so that Christ first of all, and then us in his footsteps, can fulfill the ministry to which we have been called. And so as we start out into 2019, I think there is a key prayer that we just need to keep praying. And it's come Holy Spirit. Fall afresh on us. Empower us. Fill us. Change us. Break us. Mold us. Do all those things so that we can be the proclaimers of the gospel. Let's just pause for a moment. Let's just pray that prayer, shall we? And then we'll continue looking at what the, the Spirit's anointing was for. Lord Jesus, you promised that when you left this earth, you would leave your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you will fall afresh on us today. Help us not to be a church that does anything in our own strength, but in complete reliance on your Holy Spirit to equip, empower, gift, and transform us into your likeness. Lord, help this to be our daily prayer. Give us the reality of more of your spirit, we pray. Amen. So verse 18, we get the words to proclaim good news to the poor. Which poor are these? Are these the today poor? You know those people who physically had nothing, who lived in poverty. Are these, is this good news to those people? Or is it good news to the tomorrow poor? those living in spiritual poverty, those who don't know the good news of Jesus, those who don't know the good news of the gospel, who face a lost eternity without Christ. Well, I think the answer to that is yes. It's all those poor. It's people who are in poverty in whatever way. You know, the gospel is good news to the physical poor because God has shown us how to show love to one another. And if we've been transformed by the love of God, 
it should become so natural to us to care for one another that actually that is what we do and that is what we become. As Jesus dies on the cross at Calvary, as sin is defeated, our spiritual rags are turned to riches. Without Christ, we are the spiritual poor, aren't we? We have nothing. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Verse 18, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Who are these prisoners that Jesus is talking about? Is it those like in Mark chapter 5, like Legion, who was imprisoned to the powers of darkness? Well, absolutely, those prisoners. What about those who Wesley would write about in And Can It Be, when he talks about prisoners to sin, and the dungeon being filled with light, and our chains being broken? Absolutely, those prisoners as well. What about the prisoners who are currently down the road in Thorncross, who are facing a troubled presence and a lost eternity without Christ? Well, absolutely, those prisoners as well. So you see what each time we look at these is yes, yes, and yes. What about recovery of sight for the blind? Was that the physical sight that Jesus would restore? Well, I think if you ask Bartimaeus, he would give a resounding yes to that one. What about those who spiritually are blind to Jesus? Well, last term we were looking at the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians 1 verse 18 it says, Paul praying for the church, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened that you may spiritually be able to see all that Jesus is and all that Jesus is doing. You see, the fulfillment of what Jesus said his kingdom was about is yes and yes. It's yes and yes. Verse 18, 19, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Which oppressed? The spiritually oppressed? Those oppressed by darkness, by addiction, by sin, by hunger? Yes, absolutely those oppressed. What about those oppressed by not knowing Christ, by having the weight of sin just hanging over them? Well, this is what the cross is about, isn't it? Freedom from that oppression. Because now is the year of the Lord's favor. Christ has come. And what we find is Jesus' fulfillment of these verses is all today and tomorrow. John Stott, um, one of the great Christian theologians, thinkers, pastors, writers, he wrestled for a number of years, probably in the mid-70s, about this idea of the today and the tomorrow of the gospel. And he says, actually, you know, when we're proclaiming the gospel, if we're not loving and caring for people, they probably can't hear what we have to say. They probably won't be able to hear it. He says this. He says, there will be times when a person's material need is so pressing that he would not be able to hear the gospel if we shared it with him. The man who fell among robbers needed, above all else at that moment, oil and bandages for his wounds, not evangelistic tracts in his pockets. We are sent into the world like Jesus to serve, and in this we should have no ulterior motive. True, the gospel lacks visibility if we merely preach it and lacks credibility if we who preach it are only interested in souls and have no concern about the welfare of people's bodies, situations, and communities. See, if I only ever tell my friends that God loves them and that he cares for them and that he wants um, them to be in eternity with him, but I don't show them love in the present, how is that message ever going to ring true in people's hearts and lives? Or conversely, if I'm on the other side and I'm constantly showing people love and care and support, but I never share the cross with people, 
how can I be loving people if I actually just lead them to a place where they haven't yet had the chance to respond to the gospel that will save them and take them into God's eternal presence? It has to be today and tomorrow. Jonathan Aldersley last Sunday night was preaching from 2 Corinthians. I think it was chapter 5, is that right? About being Christ's ambassador. And And he said something that really struck me. And he said this, he said, the greatest thing, the greatest challenge that we probably face in preaching the gospel round here is not going to be persecution, but it's going to be apathy. People are just not listening. They're not interested. They've got their own lives. They think they've got it all sorted. And so we go to people who are just, fair enough, that's what you believe, that's okay. But the general apathetic kind of way of behaving. I was at a Churches Together meeting on Wednesday night, and after it, I'm, I chatted to a number of the other ministers of the churches, and we were just reflecting about what had gone on over Christmas. And there were some good news stories of hundreds of people coming through our churches in Lim over Christmas. But you know, the sad reality is so many of them are not listening to the gospel hope. They may like our carols, they may like our candles, but they're not listening to our Jesus. I wonder how much of that is because we have not yet fully grasped that we need a gospel that is both today and tomorrow. That we both care for people in the here and now. We do everything we can to love as Jesus loved, to serve as Jesus loved. And then we boldly proclaim the message of the cross, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. After Jesus had read, he sat down. You know, it was customary to read, standing up from the scriptures, and then sit down to preach. Because when you preach, what you say is not as important as God's word. And that's what Jesus, well, Jesus actually was. He was the one person who could stand up the whole way through and preach. But he actually sat down. And he says in verse 20, the eyes of everyone was on him. Is your gaze on Jesus this morning? Are our eyes fixed on Christ today? Are we gazing on him in a world of so many distractions Are we looking into the eyes of our Savior? Oregon, one of the early church fathers, said in the second or third century, he said, blessed is the church whose gaze is upon Jesus. Oh, that every congregation would have their eyes fixed on Christ. You know, if our eyes are fixed on Christ, we'll be passionate about the gospel. If our eyes are fixed on Christ, giving of our gifts and giving that gaze to Jesus will just become second nature. Are our eyes fixed on Christ? I'm going to hand over to Chris. If our eyes, if our gaze is fixed on Jesus, then we will naturally be doing the things of Jesus. And those words uh, that uh, Jonathan has spoken to us about this morning from Luke 4, from Isaiah 61, would be natural. And it'd be great to say, let's stop now. Uh, that's, you know, a reasonable sermon tick a few boxes, and we've learned something from the Bible, um, you know, and we don't want to kind of get too detailed here because it can get a bit uncomfortable. But sometimes um, we have to go to the uncomfortable as well and to the perhaps slightly politically incorrect. So what we're going to talk about next is actually what does it mean? What does it actually mean for this church today um, to bring our gifts, our time, or what we have to Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus. What does that actually mean? So, if you are um, a regular attender here, and you, and you are blessed by the fellowship here, 
I'd ask you to listen to these next few minutes. On the other hand, if you are a visitor here, or you're not part of this fellowship, you're just here for this week or whatever, uh, feel free to tune out for the next few minutes. Don't often say that. So don't, yes, that most of you should be tuned in. <clears throat> because if we are anointed, being anointed, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That means being chosen and empowered by God. And Jesus gives that commission to all of us. We are all chosen and empowered by God at the same time. But it has to be for a purpose, doesn't it? As Jonathan was saying, it has to be to do, to look after people today and look after their hope tomorrow. And uh, he also mentioned our, um, our vision, which we've articulated under these three uh, areas, recreating community, reaching neighbours, growing disciples. And they're all uh, ways of bringing that, of uh, proclaiming that year of the Lord's favour. As we uh, recreate community, we, we bind the brokenhearted, we set the captives free. As we reach neighbours, we proclaim uh, the good news to the poor. And in doing so, we grow as disciples. And the good news is, this isn't something for uh, even later this year or next year. This is happening now in our midst. This is happening in our church. And we want to do more of it. This is happening today. Just a couple of quick examples. We've shared some examples before. I don't think we've shared these before. So a couple of quick examples. There's a, a lady who attends uh, Margaret's watercolour class on a Monday morning upstairs. It's an open uh, group for anybody. Uh, folks come in. Some folks from the church go. Some <coughs> folks not from the church go. And there's another one downstairs that Wendy leads. And there's a lady who's come to these classes, uh, not a Christian, not a member of the church, been coming for, I'm not sure, a year or so. Um, conversations have happened. She feels this is a good place to be. It's a community. I like being here. Conversations have taken place. That person has come to our Alpha course wasn't sure about it, but really benefited from that. And we now see her sometimes on a Sunday. So this is an ongoing, wonderful story of good news. And if you think about it, it's not any one of those, it's all three of those. There is a community upstairs on a Monday morning and in other parts of the building that has been created. In that community, there are conversations happening and we are reaching neighbours. People are doing that. And as they do that, folks like... Margaret and uh, Wendy and others, grow in their discipleship because they see God's really in this. I can see, I can get on board with what the Holy Spirit, Spirit is doing here today. So it's great. Another quick story, and we've heard about it again before Christmas, uh, particularly Deb and uh, Pat, who are leading uh, or part of the leadership team at the Rock Sanctuary Hub. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful opportunity that is. What a wonderful resource for this community where there will be counselling for those in, in bereavement, those in debt, those who need help. There'll be uh, marriage guidance. There'll be parenting courses. What a wonderful opportunity that we're giving to the community of Lynn. And as they do that, they are, re they are, they are absolutely doing community. They are doing community at the heart of this community of Lynn and the surrounding districts. They are reaching neighbours as they do so. Those conversations will go on. And as they do that, the folks from the churches, like Deb and Pat and others, grow in their discipleship because they see, I can get on board with what the Holy Spirit's doing here. This is exciting stuff. I want to live for this. This is why I come to church, to be powered up for this. This is what it's about. It's exciting. These are exciting times. And we want to see more. We want to see more of what we're seeing. 
But then, what is our part in this? What is your part? What is my part? And it does, if you end, if you boil it down, it does come down to two things. What do we do with our time and what do we do with our money? And we're going to get a little bit specific about both of those. I'm going to share with you financially where we are as a church, briefly, and then we'll talk a little bit about time. So money and time. Let's look at our financial situation as a church to start with. Uh, We are uh, forecasting uh, being short of our budget for 2019. And I share this because there are enough, I know we know there are people here who would say, who most of you would say, we want to know what's going on. Uh, we don't want to get covered up. If there's a problem, let us know. So this is where we are at the moment. It's not a crisis. We're not worried about it, but we want to bring it to you. We are running short against our budget, and that's our, for the things that we've already committed to. There may be additional needs for some parts of the building, etc. There may be other things that we need to do. How far? How far short are we? Uh, currently, we're about £16,000 for 2019, or short of that budget for 2019. Uh, the slightly concerning thing is, as well, that our month-by-month giving seems to have gone down since about June for no reason that we can detect. Our month-on-month regular giving has gone down month-on-month over the last six months. So we're at that situation at the moment. We're that much short. It sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money, isn't it? £16,000. Um, but we have a, about 100 giving units in this church, 100 giving families, and if you boil that down, it's actually only about £3 a week. So if we did that, if we were able to increase our giving by just that much, all of us, that would actually solve that problem today. Otherwise, it does get... And we're not in this situation yet, but we might have to look at saving that money and how we would save money will always have an impact. Uh, so, so I think uh, John told me that like, that would be 60% of our missions budget, for example. You know, we don't want to, we, we have no intention to say to our missions, you know, we're going to cut that. Three out of five of, your, of our charities are not going to get anything this year. We don't want to do that and we don't feel we will need to do that. So it's not a crisis. Nobody's pushing a big red button. But it is something to consider. If you are able to give regularly or increase your giving regularly, please do that. If you are not able to do that, please don't feel guilty about that. Please don't feel guilty about that. Some can and some cannot. How should we give? This is important. Whenever we talk about giving, give well. Give well. And it's summarized here in 1 Corinthians 6. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Because, we love that line, God loves a cheerful giver. Please give hilariously. Really, it will change your heart. Don't give out of bitterness or you need to. Give because God loves a cheerful giver. And then just a couple of other things on the financial side. We know that probably all of us here give outside of Lynn Baptist Church. That's almost a given. And that's great. There are so many causes out there that need our support. Relief operations, sponsoring children, uh, missions that we, have come into, that we know about personally. And that's great. We need to do those things. But the local church still has to function. Uh, the local church, it, its wheels still need oiling. If we want a local church that still has to run. And somehow we have to balance those, don't we? And then lastly, 
Uh, we've talked about this once before, but tithing is a great biblical principle, giving 10% of what we get. Some, sometimes people say, well, is that before tax or after tax? I say, give according to your faith. If you can give before tax, do that. If you can give after tax, do that. That's uh, a good biblical principle. Um, gift aid, I haven't, I've looked hard, I haven't found this in the Bible yet, but it is a really good principle. <clears throat> it's a very tax-efficient way. It takes a minute to fill out a gift aid form, a minute or less. And that means the church can benefit even more by claiming the tax back. So that's a little bit about the finances. If, we're, if we want to, if we're serious about binding the brokenhearted, recovery of sight for the blind, good news for the poor, then that will impact our giving. It will impact our money. And then the second part of this. Not all of us can give money, but time and money are the same currency. Time is the same as money. So uh, if my company gives me £10, they give it because I've given them some time. And then I can go into Lim, into, into a cafe or Sexton's bakery, order some lunch and give them the £10 and they give me some of their time. So time is the same as money. And some people can give time and money, which is great. Uh, please do. Uh, some people are short on time and can, can only give money. Some people are short on money and can, but hopefully can give time. Uh, we have lots of opportunities in this church this year to give time. Uh, Darren spoke about one this morning uh, where we, we could help the young people's work uh, by being present at the voice concerts, at the voice uh, practices, or in the youth work. Uh, that's one area where we could give time. Another area, uh, just before Christmas, uh, Mervyn and the properties team had a little desk outside and they were just asking, who can give time? Do you have something you can do whether it's a bit of painting or decorating or gardening or maintenance. Um, in fact, Steve Turnbull actually said he will train anybody. He's really good. He's not here, so I can talk about him. He will train anybody who wants to give time and feels they don't have the skills. He will train them, apprentice them. Um, and uh, if, if we were able to do the gardening ourselves, some of the gardening ourselves, that would save about £2,000 a year. Time it literally is money. So it may be money, it may be time, but this is where the rubber hits the road and we all have to take this away and consider it prayerfully. There will be a letter from the leadership this week. Jonathan. Let's just pray, shall we? At that point, let's pray. Lord, you've given us so much. You've given us of yourself. Our Lord, we just want to recommit ourselves to, to your service today. Lord, we realize that if we truly give our hearts to you, that has massive practical outworkings. It's not just a philosophical or some kind of theological agreement with something, but it's a whole life that is transformed as your spirit takes hold of us and changes us. Lord, just as we've looked at two very practical areas this morning, just pray if you are challenging any of us in those areas that we will respond to the call of your Holy Spirit. But it may be in other areas that God needs to challenge you today. It might be about being bold and being prepared to have that conversation. Or it might be just about loving that person who lives next door to you. Whatever those things are, Lord, give us courage. 
Give us courage because the gospel is good news to a world that so desperately needs it. To a people who are perishing, it is the message of salvation. Lord, keep us faithful to your word, we pray. Amen. Our God is a God who encourages us, who cheers us on. Our God is a God who actually gives us good news. And so we wanted to leave you uh, with a message of encouragement because we can, um, <coughs> we can be overawed, can't we, by the needs. Like 16,000 sounds like a lot of money. Or the needs out there. And we think, what is our part? What is my part? Uh, what can I really do? Because, and there may, this may be you sitting here today and thinking, I don't really have great gifts to offer the church. I don't have loads of money to bring to the church. And really, I don't have that much time to give to the church. So what can I do? This uh, man uh, on the right, who looks like the man on the left, but he's different. The man on the right is called Itzhak Perlman. He's an American-Israeli violinist, uh, famous violinist. He's probably in his 70s now. And... um, He's actually, the, the guy, the conductor on the left is James Levine, who looks remarkably like him. Uh, just watch this for a minute. It's of not great quality, it's, but it's only 90 seconds. Isaac Pullman uh, was born in the 1940s, and by the age of three, uh, he demonstrated an aptitude for music. And uh, his parents brought him a toy violin, because he was too small, even for even the smallest violin, to see what he would do with it. And he, he seemed to take to it in an unusual way. But by the age of four, he came down with a serious illness. In fact, he developed polio. And so, as you saw in that clip, he actually never walked after that age. And um, he, decided, he, he later looked back on his time as a child and his thought process at the time. Because at the time he said, I can still play the violin. Why can't I play the violin? And this young boy who gets polio came up with 
This is what Isaac Perlman said looking back on his time as a child. He said, I decided, as a child, I decided to make music with what remains. I decided to make music with what remains. Because I looked and I said, well, I've still got two arms. I've still got my eyes. I've still got my ears. I've still got my musical brain. I will make music with what remains. And Isaac Perlman became incredibly famous, played across the world with all the world's best, famous, most famous conductors and most famous symphony orchestras. So fast forward a few decades and uh, Itzhak Perlman is playing in New York at the Carnegie Hall with one of the most famous symphony orchestras in the world. He's playing an astonishingly difficult concerto and just before the solo, the cadenza, the unthinkable happens. A string breaks on his violin, just snaps like that. People hear it and sense it, and for a moment, it was only a couple of seconds, but in that couple of seconds, which seemed to last a long time, everybody stared at him, and people thought, well, he's gonna, he has to go off now, get another violin, get a new string. But Isaac Perlman, within a couple of seconds, motioned to the orchestra to keep playing, to keep playing. So they carried on. He closed his eyes, and somehow, he, he transposed at the rate of hundreds of notes a second the notes that should have been on that one string to the other three strings. Now, musicians can transpose music, but he did it at hundreds of notes a second in real time at the speed of a runaway train. He played it in a way that nobody had ever heard. Nobody had ever seen this or heard this. And the audience grasped what was going and were just agog at this man who, going back to his years of experience and thousands of hours of practice, just closed his eyes and somehow did it. The piece comes to an end, and again, there's a moment's silence, and then the, the roof bursts off the Carnegie Hall with the applause. It's first the orchestra stand up and applaud this guy. Then the audience are on their feet, rapturously proclaiming this man who's done something they've never seen before, never heard before, never seen this thing done like this before. Perlman, of course, stays seated, but he asks for silence and asks for a microphone. So they bring him a microphone, and uh, he's red in the face, and uh, beads of sweat dripping from his brow because of the stress of what he's just done. And you know what he said? You know what he said? He said, all of my life, my task has been to make music with what remains. Anybody else might have said, he needs another violin. That's not even a violin. It's now a piece of wood with three wires on it. That's not a violin. Perlman said, all of my life, my task has been to make music with what remains. And sometimes it's like that, isn't it? We hear this passage, wonderful passage from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, to bring freedom for the captives, to bring recovery of sight for those in darkness, to proclaim this year the Lord's favour. Sounds like a big ask. But what actually do we have? We're not virtuoso musicians, right? Me and you. But we do have a choice. We always have a choice. We can choose to not make a difference. We can choose that. And there are maybe reasons that we would do that. So some of us, sitting here today perhaps, might say, Really, all this going on in the church, I'm too old for this now. I'm too old for this. Who told you you're too old? Who said that? Because you didn't read it in here. 
can borrow this. You didn't read it in here. I think you told yourself that. Now, for sure, some of us are in a season of life where we really, we've done enough and we're struggling and we really are at that point where we can't physically do much now. That's, we understand that. But even then, you, you have a ministry among us, a special ministry with your wisdom, with your encouragement. Sometimes people say, oh, encouragement, that's not a real gift. That's something we say to people who can't do anything. You can be an encourager. I tell you now, right, for Jonathan and myself, for people in ministry, the one thing that gives us life, that keeps us going, is thoughtful encouragement. Thought through encouragement. It's so valuable. You can do that. You can decide, I'm now not going to do anything. Or, you can, you can play the music that binds the brokenhearted. You can make music with what remains. Other folks among us might say, well, I can't really do anything. I don't really have any gifts or talents. Who told you that? Because I think you told yourself that. If that's you, you told yourself that. Not exaggerating. If you come and see us today, we will find really important, essential jobs that need to be done in our community, in our church, for you. There are things that probably only you can do. So again, we can decide we haven't really got anything, or you could be the one who plays that music that sets the captives free. You can make music with what remains. And then thirdly, and lastly, many of us feel we have no time. I just don't have any time to do this anymore. And again, for sure, for some people, perhaps people with young families, that is your priority right now. And I 100% agree with you. That is your priority. But even then, you may find, well, perhaps what you can do at the moment, if you are in work, is give money. That's what remains for you. Again, we can take a step back or we can take a step forward and say, Lord, what remains and what can I bring to you? How can I make music with what remains? And God doesn't ask us on our own to proclaim the year of the, of the Lord's favour, to be the only one who's anointed. God says, bring what you can and see what I will do. Bring what you can. He doesn't expect you to solve the world's problems or regenerate this community alone. But bring what you can and nothing else. Whatever abilities we have, whatever energies, whatever time, seize it and use it for God's glory. In this church, in this community, in this year, this can be the year of the Lord's favour. And God, who takes what we can do, takes what what remains, he will play the melody that binds the brokenhearted. He will ring the bell that proclaims good news to the poor. He He will bring the symphony that plays the music that proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. Thanks, Chris.